I have a lot on my mind uh, today, and this is probably not surprising given the events that have gone in our community this week. And if I did not have a lot on my mind, it would mean that I have a very small mind. Uh, you may not necessarily be carrying some of the weight that I have felt over the past several days, although I am sure you are feeling something. And if you're not feeling the, the same kind of weight that I'm carrying, then you are my counselor for this week. I get to vomit all of my thoughts onto you, and you get to choose what you want to keep and what you want to get rid of. I also want to point out that some of the things that I want to talk to you about today are not necessarily things that apply to what you are or are not doing. Does that make sense? Um, I think that you are an exceptional group of people. And I've told you that lots of times. I don't want to tell you too much because you know how that goes. But it is good for us, whether this is exactly us or not, uh, to see our faith and look at our faith in light of the bigger picture. Because there are things, there are people outside of these walls who think um, that they know what Christians are all about, and some of those things, many of those things are not true of us. And there are Christians outside of these walls who say things that we would not say. So whether this is us this morning or it as far away from us as it could possibly be, this is in part the culture that we live in. And we need to be aware of what people are saying and what is going on around us. I mean, it's been a really difficult and tragic week for our community. And over the years, we have been witnesses mostly from afar as violence has shown itself on school campuses across the country. And we've been horrified seeing the things that have taken place. We have prayed for those communities and discussed how awful each event has been. It has made us question people and life and our country and the world as we know it. And we have, I have, been grateful that those same things have not happened within our community, that we have not had to face those things. But it's probably true for a lot of people. I know it's certainly true for the parents of Montgomery High School students. Um, that the illusion of safety that we had is no longer sufficient. It was, in fact, an illusion. And I remain grateful that we have not had to face some of the things that other communities have had to reckon with. I mean, honestly, friends, like, thank God there was not some sort of gunman loose on any of our school campuses this week. I'm grateful for that. But as a parent of a Montgomery High School sophomore, those few hours on Wednesday were enough for me. If I don't ever have to do that again, that's okay. You know? I'm not going to feel like I missed out on something. And like you, if you were on social media or the news or things that day and you were hearing what was going on, of course details roll out slowly. And some things that you hear initially are incorrect. Well, let's rephrase that. A lot of things that you hear initially are incorrect. And we were getting updates from the school about there being an incident on campus, about the schools, the classes being locked down. Uh, Zeke texted his mother. He did not text his father. 
His mother was in a meeting. So I texted him and he got back to me pretty quickly and uh, I knew he was safe and then I was trying to relay to Nisha that, that he was safe and that he was okay. Uh, but even after finding out that Zeke was okay, uh, I did not feel very much peace. And Nisha was going to go pick him up, and so I decided that I was going to go run an errand because I could not sit in my office. So she went to pick him up, and I went to get him some tank tops because he's running track now, and he needs some tank tops for all these training days, and plus he's just got them guns, you know? Um, and as I was walking around Cottingtown Mall trying to do anything but think about what was going on, more news kept coming out. Nisha picked up Zeke, and Zeke was safe. Uh, but it was also around that time that the news came out that a student had died. Um, and while I felt okay about him, I worried about Zeke. I worried about his friends, people that we love and care about, people whose families we know. And when the whole story finally got out and we knew that Zeke was okay and we knew that his friends were okay, I alternated between wanting to cry right there in public or throw up, or maybe both. Um, it was anxiety such as I had never really felt before. Montgomery was not the only school that had to deal with this this week. I don't know if you're aware of everything that went on. Uh, another school was in lockdown, I believe, on that same day or on Thursday because of the threat of a weapon. A student march at a local school was put on shelter in place due to what was then an unknown threat. It turned out there was a threat of a weapon on a middle school campus. And another school, these are all different schools, by the way, in another school, two young girls were arrested for a planned assault on a third student. And in another school, two students in masks went onto a campus and beat up another student. So it's been quite the week for us and quite the week for our community. And whether or not we have been directly touched by these events, i.e. we know someone, we know someone who knows someone, whatever it is, this is our home. This is, this is where we live. We, as a church, are a part of this community. And so before we do anything else this morning, I want us to pray some specific prayers. Um, because while one life was lost, several other lives have been changed by what was experienced and witnessed. You know, there were 31 other people in that class. There were people in the office and the nurse's office. There were people that had to go in and clean things up after it was over. The whole thing is awful. And so today, as we start, what I want us to pray about and to call on is to call on our God as a God of comfort. I have this passage that we're going to look at here this morning, off and on, from first, Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. 
If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. So there are some people I want us to pray for this morning. I would like for us to pray for the family of Jordan Pienta, who lost his life. I want us to pray for his friends that were there with him. I want us to pray for the student who stabbed him and his family. We need to pray for the 27 other students, the three aides, and the one teacher that was in the room. We need to pray for the principal and the staff and the teachers who are going to have to see all their kids tomorrow in what is now a very different school. I want us to pray for our teachers. Do you know how many teachers we are tied to within this community? Suzanne, Megan, Macy Gross, former members like Rob Schutz, Rob Oliver, April Oliver, Jason and Julia Castro, are all people who are in classrooms on a regular basis and who we pray never have to deal with this directly. We have students that we need to pray for. Uh, Zeke and Emmy both go to Montgomery. Um, Malia goes to Maria Carrillo. Jed goes to Slater. You, we have grandchildren in schools around here in Sebastopol and these other places in Fresno. You know, we have kids everywhere, and we want to remember the students that we know and, and are tied to. And I would also like for us to pray for my very special friend, <clears throat> for my friend Mandy Corbin, who is Nisha's boss and who is a crisis manager for the County Office of Education and who has been on campus since Wednesday and will continue to be throughout the week and is dealing directly with all of it. Um, so let's take a moment and pray that the God of comfort would be present. Heavenly Father, it is difficult at times like this to put our thoughts into perspective. To find the words that we may want to express to you our fear, our worry, our sadness. Father, there are so many that we want to pray for. We pray for the family of Jordan and the loss that they are feeling, which is unfathomable to me. We pray for the young man who was a part of this and his family, which is now torn by these awful events. We pray for the students that were present in the classroom, the aides, the teachers, who are forever going to have to live with what they saw and experienced. We pray for the staff, the teachers who are going to see their children tomorrow. God, would you give them comfort and the ability to know what to do or how to do it in that moment? God, we pray for our students who are in schools that do not feel safe. 
would you protect them, Father? We pray for our teachers who not only face a difficult and often unappreciated job of educating our children, but now have to worry about things they should never have to consider. We pray for the principal, for our friend Mandy, for those in the county, those in the school, those in the district that are trying to figure out how to help these kids in the community move forward, which God is a difficult task. But God, what we know in the middle of all this, in spite of the anger or the fear, God, is that people need to be comforted. They need to know that there is love and goodness and kindness in this world. So may you, Father, the God of comfort, be present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> on Wednesday, as Nisha and Jed and I, or Zeke and I, sat on the couch, Nisha was on my left, and Jed, Zeke, I mean, I'm sorry, Zeke was on my right. We got out. Uh, we got out Nisha's phone to watch the press conference that was going on at Montgomery High School, and as I already said, you know there was a lot of information, a lot of things that were coming out, and we're sitting there on the couch. And at the bottom of this uh, press conference on Nisha's cell phone, at the bottom, all these comments were bubbling up. Maybe you've watched, you know, some sort of video online where people are allowed to comment in real time, and things are coming up. And while you know, while I know how people are, and while I know how they process information, I couldn't handle it. The things that people were saying, the way that they were treating the situation, the way they were responding to one another. So I eventually, you know, if this is Nisha's phone, I eventually took my phone and just laid it across the bottom so that we could watch the press conference without seeing everything that people were just pouring out onto a situation that, frankly, no one understood yet. And the comments were all over the place. People were showing support. People were criticizing others. People were lamenting the state of the school, the city, the world as we know it. But the, one of the things that was most common amongst all of the comments was blame. There was a lot of blame. I got so tired of it like I said, that I had to cover it up. And, you know, when crisis happens around us, we often want to know why it happened, followed closely by our thoughts on who is to blame. And I saw blame going everywhere. The kids themselves, the parents of the kids, the teachers, the principal, the school, the district, the county, the state of California, guns, the lack of guns, video games, and on and on and on and on and on and on it goes. Because we need some sort of answer, right? This is the reason why this happened. And I don't want you to misunderstand me, okay? There are things that can and should be done, and the students of our city are trying to bring that to the forward. I'm not sure that they all know exactly what it is that they want, but that doesn't matter so much right now. It got me to thinking, though, 
about community and about as a Christian, when we see these things happen in the world, whether it's in our own communities or it's in communities that are far away from us, what is our response about that situation? Who do we blame? And I don't think that there is a standard response. I really don't. But I have seen many Christians say, well, this is the way the world is and lament that things are not the way they used to be. Some of you may be feeling those feelings. But then sometimes that shifts into suggesting that these things happen because people are separated from God and then if they simply turn back to God, then these kinds of things wouldn't happen because you know, Christians never get into any trouble. It's as if Somehow, in these moments, our job is to point out how, if everyone believed like we believed, then the world would be a better place. It's almost like we feel some pressure to speak a godly truth into that moment, but sometimes we don't understand that we have a choice as to what kind of godly truth we speak. We really do. We have a choice about what we speak into these situations. And I personally have some feelings about followers of Jesus using tragedy to prove that someone else is wrong about God. You want them to remember something about Christians? Tell them this happened to them because they don't have a relationship with God. That will stick with them to their grave. We like everyone else, must get to the bottoms of things to know the cause and identify who is to blame. So then I I naturally kind of got to the next question, which is, well, when something like this happens, especially to those who are outside of a faith community, what should the response of those who follow Jesus be? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to say? If we feel a pressure to to make sure that God is present in the middle of this, what is our job. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians, and let's read this again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. I want you to think about just those thoughts for a moment because there's a principle here that is described um, that is fundamental to the gospel itself. I, I, I personally believe that if you don't grasp this principle, then you're not really grasping what the gospel is. And this is the principle. What you have received from God, you have received in such abundance that you pass it on to others. You have not been blessed to simply be blessed. As if that is your natural state of being, I am blessed. You are blessed in abundance. 
in abundance. Which means you have more blessing than you know what to do with. And the natural product of that state is not simply that you wipe your abundance away, put it in a can in the fridge so you can use it in cooking later. No, that abundance spills over, and it spills over into the world and the community in which you live. What you have received from God, you pass on to others. And if you want to explore that in the Bible, there are not any qualifiers or times where this should or shouldn't happen. Instead, it just happens. Over and over and over again. So in this passage, Paul points out to us, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the one who has helped us to know what compassion is at all, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. This is a benefit of being a child of God, right? That we experience the comfort of God so that, notice that, so that, not so that we can feel better, not so that we can look at others who don't have that same comfort and think, lucky me. So that we can comfort those in what kind of trouble? Any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. The comfort that God has given us is a gift we have received and we are expected not to hoard that gift. We are expected to share it. And I want to say this again, without qualification. You're not looking for the, just the right time to share your comfort with others. It's spilling over in you. Now, this seems kind of like a no-dust scenario, but the implementation of this principle is not as common as you may think. As... Christianity and following Jesus is getting confused with a lot of other things in our world. As boundaries are being blurred over what it means to be Christian, what it means to be American, what it means to be any of these things, there are ideas that have come up. And some of those ideas lead us away from caring for other people. I realize I might step in it here, but I'm going to go ahead and step in it anyway. There's a Canadian author, psychologist, and media commentator named Jordan Peterson, and Mr. Peterson has weighed in on a lot of different issues over the years. He's become very popular recently for his views on all sorts of things. He is, he is not afraid to go into your Italian grandmother's house and criticize her spaghetti sauce. He would do it. So this week, uh, everything happened this week, apparently. Pope Francis, you might have heard of him. He's the Pope. He tweeted out this week that social justice demands that we fight against the causes of poverty, inequality, and the lack of labor, land, and lodging against those who deny social and labor rights and against the culture that leads to taking away the dignity of others. Now, not everyone agrees with those statements or sentiments. Mr. Peterson is one of them. And his response was this. There is nothing 
Christian about social justice. Redemptive salvation is a matter of the individual soul. Now, I understand that within this conversation, you could go a lot of different directions. One of the questions would be, well, what is meant by social justice? I think Pope Francis was pretty clear about it when he laid out it's us taking care of other people in very specific terms. But I don't want to get into semantics. I understand that Mr. Peterson is a provocateur who likes to get a rise out of people, and in this case, at least with me, he succeeded. Usually, I don't pay any attention to him at all. Understand for a moment, though, what he is saying on the surface, which is where most will read it. What he's saying on the surface when he says there is nothing Christian about social justice, redemptive salvation is a matter of the individual soul, he is saying Christianity is about me or Christianity is about you. Only you can decide if you're saved. But the one thing Christianity is not about is others. There is nothing Christian about that. Now listen, you may agree with him on many things, and that's fine. But on the surface, again, this is a gross misrepresentation of what following Jesus is about. Say what you want. But it's hard to look at Jesus, a homeless man who through his life and words taught that in order to love God, you must love others, and say that we don't have a responsibility for those around us. I can't make a bridge long enough, personally, to cover that gap. To me, it's a misrepresentation of what following Jesus is about. The thing is that there are many who hold to this idea that they should care for themselves, their friends, their family, but they are not responsible for anyone else. Bryce, why are you even talking about this in the middle of all these things? Uh, again, you guys are on top of it with the questions and the insights. I can always count on you to bring me back around. Here's why I bring this up. There are people in this world who have a relationship with God, who believe that as long as they are good with God themselves, then everything is okay. Who believe that they don't have any sort of responsibility for other people, especially fill in the blank. You hear me on that? God loves us and we have been given so much. Our job is to extend that love, that comfort to those who are hurting and to hurt along with them no matter who they are. Can I just, I want to say a gospel truth to you. We are called to love and hurt with people when they are hurting no matter who they are. We are not called to put qualifiers on when someone does or does not deserve the comfort of God. You cannot find that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
if there is something that people need to hear in the middle of tragedy, then it is not what God could have done if they had lived their lives differently before this tragedy happened. Do you want to be that person? What they need to hear, because this is what we know, this is what we know, is that God is present as a God of comfort in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of the inexplicable, in the middle of the things that we will never understand, that God is present there. And that while we may not have specific answers, God still comforts us. And how much does he comfort us? He's the only one with an answer, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I want you to know, and again, I don't necessarily think you're doing this, okay? I, am, I just have to get this out. We cannot wait for the world to change, somehow hoping that disaster will move others closer to God. Jesus came here and lived as a person so that we would know firsthand the overwhelming love of God and that we would be comforted and that we would know what life is with a God who loves us so dramatically. And how will the world know the extraordinary comfort of God if we who have received that comfort do not show it to them? When we, when we don't do that, we make God's comfort finite. It has a limit because we don't have enough to share. And that is clearly not the nature of who God is, right? Doesn't God shatter our limits and our boundaries? So today, we are going to pray again and we are going to call on our good and generous God who has poured out his love on us that we may be vehicles that steer that love and goodness to others so that our voice as those who follow Jesus will not be a voice of blame but of generosity. Amen? Amen. Linda? If you'll pray with me. Father, um, we are humbled to come before you knowing that you hear our prayers, humbled that you are the God of all comfort, that you are the Father of compassion. Father, we request, we petition you, Father, because we are in need of your comfort. in need of your presence in our lives. We are in need of your peace, of your strength. We are in need of you, Father. Father, we're so thankful that Scripture just acknowledges that you are love, that you are compassion, that you are these things. And 
in the same moment that we say we need your comfort, we are comforted. We feel your spirit of peace, of compassion come over us. In our need, you are present. And your grace is sufficient. So Father, as Bryce has said, we pray that that comfort that we receive from you, that comfort, that power, that grace, that it would overflow, Father, that we would see people differently. We would see them through your eyes of compassion, your eyes of tenderness, no matter who they are, no matter what situation they're in. Father, your comfort abounds. And we pray, it is our petition, God, that it would abound through us. That people would know of your love, of your ways, of who you are because of the way that we uh, share that with the people around us. I pray that you would make that real for us, that you would make that real for us today, um, in this place, that you would make that real to us as we go out into the world that we live in. Father, we don't know who needs your compassion, a stranger on the street, a stranger in the grocery store, someone that we work with every day. We don't know who they are, who needs it, so I pray that you would give us that discernment and that love and the desire to share your love and comfort with the people around us. Um, thank you. We, we don't deserve your comfort and your grace, and yet it does abound. Thank you. Thank you for being that kind of God. Um, thank you for the comfort that we receive in this place. We thank you, Father, and we pray this through your son, Jesus. Amen. I want to thank you for letting me share some of these things with you. This is not easy for me. I've been physically unwell trying to deal with what I've been thinking and feeling and what to say to you this morning. But I want to end with one last thing because, you know, we all know that when we deal with tragedy or hard times, we receive comfort from God, but that doesn't make the tragedy or hard time go away, right? We know that God is with us, but we still have to walk whatever path it is that we're on. I uh, saw a clip the other day from a comic talking about Christianity, uh, and he wasn't necessarily combative per se. I don't think he was much of a fan, but he made one observation that I want to share with you today. He said, Christians are so weird, which is true, um, because they say that life will be so great when you die. Now, he isn't wrong. We do say it. And you know, it is kind of a funny thing to say that life is going to be so great when we're not living anymore. There is a core idea that we have to embrace when we accept Christ. And that is that we are Christians in need of a Savior, that we cannot save ourselves, that we need, in fact, someone to save us. And when we adopt this idea, we are also saying that it's, it's not just us who are lost, that the world is lost, that the world is in need of redemption. And that doesn't mean that, that everyone in this world is worthless or terrible, which when we say to non-Christians that the whole world is lost and needs redemption, that's what they hear. 
is that you think I'm worthless and terrible. Or you somehow think my life isn't good or worthwhile. It also does not mean that the world is a terrible place. It isn't. God made this world and determined that it was good. So then what does it mean? It means that we know that this place is not going to stop being this place. We know that while we are here, there will be death, pain, sorrow. We know that there will continue to be violence. We know that as awful as this week has been, it's not going to be the last week like this. But the promise of God is that this is not all there is. This isn't it. At the end of the day, we do not simply exist in a world that is broken, that we try to survive and have as much of a good time as we can. Instead, we say that, yeah, that's true. But there is a place where there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. Where things like this and the events that happened this week will be gone. Because when we are reunited with God, all of this will be left behind. And listen, God is good to us now. He really is. God is good to us now. But this world is a broken place, and there are things that come along with living in a broken place. But as much as this world is a broken place, there is a place that is not broken. And we wait in eager anticipation for Jesus to take us there. Amen? Amen. So as we take communion this morning, we call upon our God of hope. A God who gives us hope when we probably have no business having it. A God who gives us a perspective that is beyond the hurt and the suffering and the pain of this world. And you know what? That doesn't make us better than anyone. But it does make me grateful that I and the world around us have the opportunity to have that same kind of hope as well. And that I might have the chance to comfort someone and give them the hope that can only be found in Jesus. As we take communion this morning, we are celebrating not only that Jesus saved us through his death and resurrection, but that Jesus came to save the world. That anyone, that anyone who comes to know him, who calls him their Lord and Savior, will find the same comfort, peace, hope, joy, and love that we have. And that's a beautiful thing. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful that you are a God of hope because, Father, sometimes in this world we are hopeless. And God, I know I have been down the road of trying to find hope and peace and comfort in other places, and I was unsuccessful. But God, through Jesus, you have given us a hope, a peace, a joy, a comfort, a grace 
that we could have never known. So we're thankful, Father, that we do know. Thank you for your son who came to give us a life that is more than just this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.